Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. Today Hans Georg Hoprich will take us through Philippians 3 in order to find out more how to press on in present pressures. What must we do in order to keep on going? Join us today to find out more in what areas we can improve and stay strong so that we will be able to press on no matter of the surrounding conditions and make it to the finish line. Now, here is Hans Georg. Well, it uh, fascinates me what the Word of God can do, not only in my personal life, but also in the life of people all around the globe. The Word of God applies to any culture, to uh, any language, to any people in the world. And uh, that fascinates me. And uh, also the Bible tells us uh, that all the books that are written cannot contain the things that God has done all around the globe until today. So today, I promise you that we are going to have a, a mountaintop experience. Um, it's like climbing a mountain. And um, so as we climb uh, the mountain of our life, we need to press on despite the difficulties that are imminent and uh, difficulties that are there. We are not closing our eyes uh, towards them, uh, none at all. But uh, we look, uh, but we have a careful look. And uh, so as we look into the Word of God that guides us, that helps us, that strengthens us, that encourages us. We want to look at the letter of Philippians um, in which the Apostle Paul uses very special uh, words um, I want to point out this morning. Um, that is the word beware. It means be on the lookout for things that will ensnare you, discourage you, or even try to defeat you. In the light of the ongoing issues of your and my life, and particularly because of recent things that have taken place in all different areas of um, our lives, not only in the political realm, but also in the social uh, arenas of life, I want to focus today on the idea of not letting down, not slowing down, and not giving up. Our world is in the middle of a whirlwind of major social and moral and political changes and can easily, this can easily overwhelm um, us as Christian. It will overwhelm any people, but it can also overwhelm us as we follow um, in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus. If we do not learn to press on, we will never see progress, experience fruitfulness or have victory. 
winning the race requires crossing the finishing line. Crossing the finish line, I've never been more convinced of that than I am today. So now, let us define first what does it mean to press on. As Günther already said, pressing on through the present pressures. What does it mean to press on? I think we first of all need to understand that the richness and depth of the Greek language and Hebrew languages cannot be contained in in one English or in one German word. They are picturesque languages in which one word might paint a fairly detailed picture, and as in the case of Hebrew, one letter may itself may be a picture in itself. It usually takes numerous um, German words and also numerous English words to fully describe one Greek or Hebrew word. If you have a copy, some may have, uh, those that follow us uh, on the internet, may have a copy of the Amplified Bible, you find a wonderful example and many examples of how this is illustrated. So let's take a look at what Paul really means when he tells us that he has reached neither the height, the depth, or the length of his journey with Christ, but that he presses on, that he presses on. In fact, in his chapter, in this chapter uh, three of Philippians, he declares that twice from different angle. He declares it first of all from his own angle and then he declares it also from the angles of those that uh, listen him. He tells us that the work of salvation that Christ began in us, he will continue doing it throughout our lifetime. And we can read about this in Philippians 1, six, where he says, And I am sure that God, who began the good work within you, will keep right on helping you grow in his grace until his task within you is finally finished on that day when Jesus Christ returns. He tells us that the work of the gospel is to be top priority in our lives as it is in his, and that circumstances that happen to us are things God can use for exactly that purpose. And you can read about that in lengthy detail in Philippians 1, 12 to 17, as you are at home or wherever you are in the world around the globe, just read it. The richness of what Paul has to tell, he reminds us that the most important thing to do is to live for Christ. 
As long as we are on this earth, and you can read again about this in chapter 1, uh, the verses 18 to 30. Time-wise, and time will not allow to read all these scripture verses, but I'm sure that you are able to read it um, at home. In, in a typical fashion, he tells us the principles mean nothing unless you put them into practice. Now, there is one word used, it, though it's the word on. The word on is easily understood. It means to continue whatever the previous word indicates. To walk on means to keep walking. In that there is no until following the on. We know Paul is telling us that this action is to continue until we find an until. If there is no until, then there is no stopping whatever it is we are doing. So if we are looking at walk on, then we are to walk and walk and walk and walk and walk and keep walking. Let's do that kind of walking. Do the action. It, it is never stopping. If you do it long enough, my word, it becomes indeed a habit, it becomes a discipline, and finally, and that's exactly what Paul is talking about here, it becomes a lifestyle. Whatever is that we are to keep doing is to intend, is for us to be, you probably may know uh, Tom Hanks in Forrest Gump, who ran and ran and ran and ran whenever, wherever he was, wherever he went, and uh, in whatever he did. This is an amazing example of what on should really mean to us. And then the second word, press. That brings us to the primary word then, press on. It is the Greek word, yako, to put to flight, to put into flight, to pursue, to fight and persecute for, to run after. It is clear that pressing on is to be far more than a valued principle, but it is to be something that shows, shows in intentional. It shows in deliberate. It's a, excuse me, the word, aggressive action. In other words, to ag aggressively chase after the goal or to ag aggressively race towards goal, towards the goal, until you reach it. Let's do it then. Press on. But what actually must we do? So then, how does this 
play in uh, real life? How does pressing on really apply in practical ways today here in Vienna or in Budapest or in Lusaka or in New York or wherever you are this morning? How does it apply for you? Um, I believe that if we will take time to ponder on every sentence, every word Paul writes, we will see how practical are the steps that we need to take. His instruction addresses some, some specific areas. For, for example, as we read on, we read in chapter 3, verse one, here Paul says, finally, he comes nearly to the close of uh, Philippians, and this is why he says, finally, finally, my brethren, and brethren, of course, includes all sisters as well, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same thing again, is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Notice that Paul sets the stage by identifying the attitude we must have to press on. We are to rejoice. We are to rejoice. He indicated that he had addressed that time of action before because he indicated that it was not a problem for him to remind them again. And I think that is needed, that we are to remind ourselves to the same thing again and again and again. We don't know if he's referring to a possible earlier letters or in person teaching or not, but we do know that he refers to his own rejoicing twice. He talks about it in chapter 1, 18, and he talks about it in chapter 2, 17. Please do read it at home. It's, it's quite important to get a, the content of, of this all. Paul also refers also not only to himself, I mean, he wants to be an example, but he refers also the, uh, to the Philippians uh, rejoicing twice. Uh, here you can read uh, chapter 2.18, and you can also read chapter 2.28 twice. He encourages them twice. He talks about his own joy and he talks about the joy of the Philippians. This is one of the words that we seldom grasp to in its fullest meaning. For you and me, joy is generally something we see that pertains so much kind of momentarily happy or even nice. For you and me, this feeling is connected for a time and place event. But this is not 
what Paul is saying. He's saying that rejoicing is to be an ongoing lifestyle that characterizes our attitude while pressing on. One Bible dictionary, as I got ready, uh, it says, and you uh, find it also on the internet uh, notes, um, it has rather a comprehensive definition to rejoice, be glad. Secondly, to rejoice exceedingly, even more so. And thirdly, to be well, to thrive in salutation, hailed. And lastly, to give one greeting salute. Strong's Concordance describes it as a, a full of cheer, kind of an explosion of joy. In some ways, you might say we are to face those pressing on moments with hilarious happiness. Hilarious happiness. That is probably a far from what you and I usually express when we face difficult moments in our lives. In those definitions, I think we can come to these conclusions. We are to be glad. We are to be excited. We are to be enthusiastic, overflow with joy, be bubbly with cheer. We are to welcome oncoming even adversity with uh, ever-resent, overflowing joy. It is not only a, a boring, passive stroll, uh, situational and uh, circumstantial joy, but rather an intentional, joyous pursuit. It is the same kind of Joy, James said, must characterize us when we encounter the many uh, varieties, the varieties of trials in our lives. Too many people think that pressing on means that tough and challenging time will inevitably have negative effects on our lives. Whom, humanly speaking, they probably may have, but not if we choose to be joyous instead. Rejoicing is not a feeling, though it may come as a result. It is first a decision. It's a choice. You may have heard that phrase that I found so helpful, rejoice by choice. Rejoice by choice. Well, I think that's pretty true. It will likely become a feeling uh, or emotion after you make the very choice of being in joy. This should not be difficult for us as followers of Christ because joy is a part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
So if we are going to really press on and not to give in, give out or give up, we had better do if with do it with enthusiasm, express our joy, expressive joy, then we will be prepared um, for the pressing on carefully. Press on with joy, but then also secondly, press on past falsehood. And we read uh, about this in uh, chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Here Paul says, watch out for the for those wicked men, dangerous dogs, I call them, who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For it isn't the cutting of our bodies that makes us children of God. It is worshiping him with our spirits. I was a little, a little bit um, confused when I first read these words. But as I looked at how the words are used in the New Testament, things became, became um, uh, clear to me. Let me illustrate this briefly. Dogs can be also translated as hound. That is a particular type of dog that pursues and chases unusually for the purpose of attack, capture, or even killing. It also indicates that it is a metaphor that refers to a man of impure thoughts. In other words, watch out for and avoid people for who thinks sensually, immorally, or have ulterior motives, kind of different kinds of motives where you can't look back to front. You, Paul says, you must press on. As you run the race, God has given you, pursue them, then pass them, then leave them behind in the dust as you press on. It requires energy. It requires efforts. It requires extending yourself before, beyond what you can do. And there are, here are the evil workers that are mentioned here. This term describes a person of evil intent or act. In other words, watch out for the lies. The deception of those who tell you one thing, but intend quite another. Be on the alert for those who intend to act in an evil, unchrist-like, sinful way. You must. And that's very expressive. You must press on past. Such people leaving them back in the dust or in the ditch. Often the writer of Proverbs instructs us to have nothing to do with such people. We can love them, witness to them, but never accommodate to them. Don't let them rule your life. 
or enslave even you to something. So here are the evil workers, but here is also false circumcision. This is a term much easier to understand because we know that circumcision was a practice commanded by, Mo, by the Mosaic law as part of being accepted in, by God in Judaism. It is true that it was practiced, this practice was carried out on the eighth day of a, a baby's boy birth, but is also indicated that where true Jew You were a true Jew because it set that little boy apart as being different, quite different than and separate from the uh, the Gentiles on one side and pagans on the other side. As much it was both an indication of national identity, but also it was religious practice. And Judaism was then and still is built around the idea of man attempting to keep God's laws. And if that was not possible, offering up an animal sacrifice to atone for the sins of his failed effort. In other words, it word it was a metaphor and it symbolizes salvation by works. Here it comes. Keeping the laws or offering a blood sacrifice for failing to keep them. By trying to keep them and then offering an animal sacrifice, we were attempts to gain salvation through the works of self effort. Press on with joy. Press on on past falsehood. Being rescued by works of self-effort. And then, of course, the third press on is press on past fear. And here we are. We're in the midst of it. Um, this pandemic has challenged us to the bones of ourselves to that kind of fear. Now, Paul doesn't address the issue of fear itself in this text, but it is certainly implied throughout the book of Philippians. More than that, it is a major problem in our culture right now today. We try to recover, try to work ourselves through COVID-19, economic uncertainty and so on. Fear, to say the least, fear, my brothers and sisters, is immobilizing us. Fear is debilitating condition that hinders and holds us. It is generally one of the first things to attack us when we face something. Some circumstance or event that was unknown, was unplanned or is unexpected. More significantly, though fear is more than just an emotion, it is actually and I may be very blunt to you, my fellow uh, brothers and sisters. It's actually a spiritual issue. The presence of fear, t- 
tends to expose a deeper problem that we have. We, for some reason, are not or cannot trust God in his total sufficiency with that situation we face. And you can listen to the people. We just listen to somebody talking about a problem. And I think within a couple of minutes, he said at least five or six times, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. So listen to what you are saying, because that's exactly what is in your heart. When things like COVID-19, the recent terror attack in Vienna, or riots, earthquakes in nearby Croatia, or the like, suddenly enter our spheres, our life, we can freeze in fear, even terror. It can immobilize us in virtually every way. We must find a way to to press on past that fear because it is not only a hindrance, but it is also a barrier and can develop into a prison that locks us up from all future spiritual growth. It will stop you in your tracks if you do not press on. It will stop you past it. Now, in order to conquer fear, in order to press on beyond it, we must first understand that fear never comes from God. In other words, to fear is timidity. As Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.7, he writes, For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Timidity does mean fear. However, it goes deeper than that. It means fearfulness. But let me tell you, no fear of any kind, no matter its level or degree, ever, 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 ever comes from God. I want to, you to, that this sinks into your heart and mind and spirit. God, rather, God has provided something else, um, the essence and nature of victorious power, compassionate, unconditional love, and the ability to think logically and rationally to the point of having self control. In other words, when something frightening, you know, you have God's power, a love for him and the people you are facing and the ability to keep you cool. Now to get spooked by the situation and go through that frightening and fearful situation full of fear. So use God's resources to press on in spite of enormous the situation looks. Fear often, uh, thirdly, is 
uh, demonic, to say the least. There is a prediction in the Bible that time will come before Christ's return when billions and billions of demons will be unleashed on the earth to carry out the will and commandments of Satan, who has never changed in how he operates. In John 10.10, 10, he says, uh, Jesus says he is killing, he's stealing and destroying. This is his agenda. Fear is the first tool Satan uses as a demonic attack to intimidate and defeat us. Take time and read Revelation 9, 1 to 11 and related scriptures and you will see that as we draw closer to Christ's return, the things will get worse and worse and human emotions will be heightened and demonic activity will stir up and magnify wickedness and human rebellion to the point that it clearly becomes beyond human. I believe fear is one of those areas in which this will take place and is taking place today. The same can be said of anger, hatred, lustful, immorality, deception, or lying. Man's kind of, excuse me, the expression, animal passions are out of control beyond anything we could be imagined 15 or, uh, say, 20 years ago, and shamelessness goes through every fear of sin in our world today. I don't want to get into the details of that. We read about it every day in the newspapers. Fear originates with a great intimidator. Just look at 1 Peter 5, 8. It says, be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. This is a study all on its own. If we want to go into details about that, we need to talk at a, at a different time. But let me point out that the Greek word for devour means really swallow up, overwhelm. Devour, destroy, consume. Some translation indicate that the way he often does those things is to intimidate through fear. Nobody wants to be swallowed up, overwhelmed, devoured, destroyed or consumed. Such thoughts, even as we think about it, they frighten us. So this interpretation is certainly appropriate. Many years ago, in our youth group in Stuttgart, Germany, we encountered some occasion where we had to minister to a young lady who ended up having demonic oppression. Whenever she was confronted with the name of Jesus, you cannot imagine what happened. And, you know, if I talk about this... I'm talking about something you may never experience, but because my eyes have seen it, I'm talking about it. She, she jumped over three or four rows uh, in our local church and took 
um, the pulpit, because the pulpit had some, said something out of Hebrew, Jesus today and forever, and she nearly smashed that pulpit. It was frightening. And as you can see, I've got a couple of muscles, but we could not keep her from doing it. So it was a, a long process. It turned out that the demons of fear are some of the most prevalent and common evil spirits in Satan's army. The lady to whom we ministered was frightened and intimidated, to say the least. Yet, when we confronted these evil spirits with the blood and victory of Christ, they would envision them as bowing or kneeling in his name, shrinking in size and trailing off with, with heads hung low and arm and limbs at their side. Praise God. This is the power that we have in the name of Jesus. And I do not know of a time of all those years in Christian ministry when I have seen so many Christians living in fear. It has been so disappointing and disheartening to see. Some have entirely isolated them for fear of COVID-19. Isolated beyond reason, even though they, have, they are younger, healthy. While I know it is very important to be wise and cautious, some of these folks went far beyond reason. Whatever the circumstances to point is, you dare not allow fear to dominate you in it as that it stops your obedience and swallows up your faith and confidence in God. You must press on past fears. Press on with joy. Press on past falsehoods. Press on with, on past fear. Press on past the flesh. And um, uh, Paul is talking about this in um, chapter 3, verses 3 to 7. And you can read it um, again and again. Paul, what Paul is talking about, this is a very subtle thing that is easy to overlook in this passage. At first glance, it looks like Paul is simply pointing out all the ways by which he should have been able to have gained God's favor and secured his salvation. However, if you take a closer look, you will see that Paul identifies all the works of the flesh he had going for him. He talks about his religion. He was circumcised. His national and ethnic heritage of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. His occupation, he, as a Pharisee, his seal, a persecutor of the church, his character, blameless. Paul explained the dangers of the flesh, the old self-life. Better than any other writer in the Bible he did. He devoted much of the seventh chapter of Romans 7 to it, connecting it with the sin principle. 
And in Galatians 5.17, he, he contrasts the fruit of the Spirit to the works of the flesh, telling us that the flesh sets its desires against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, for though these are opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. He writes more about crucifying the flesh than any other writer in the Bible. And he uses the term an amazing 55 times in nine of his 13 letters. It is no small thing, the flesh. You see, you have done nothing to merit your salvation, your Christian walk, your ability to serve God, and you can do nothing to gain any of it. In Philippians 3, 3 Paul tells us to put no confidence whatsoever in the flesh, to get you through whatever it is you face. In fact, the flesh is more a liability to our pressing on and inevitably gets in the way. It blocks us. And it is for that reason that you must. You must, if you want to live victorious and joyfully as you face today's worlds, press on past the flesh. Press on with joy. Press on past falsehood. Press on past fear. Press on past the flesh. And fifthly, press on beyond possessions. It's amazing how Paul and how easy it is to allow something we own get in the way of drilling our way through into Christ's fullness in times like today. It is, this is what it means to, to press on. You let nothing keep you from your progress towards the goal. Paul said two things about all of his possessions and accomplishments. He called them loss. You know what he called him also? Rubbish. He asserted that compare, compared to knowing Christ and having been so changed and blessed as he had by Christ, he considered everything he had his heritage, his religious prestige, his home, his family, even his reputation, not worth keeping. In fact, he openly acknowledged that he had already lost it for the sake of knowing Christ. And then when even further, he describing them as rubbish. He actually uses the word we probably would not dare to use uh, in a church setup, but he used it, the word dung, which is, as you know, is a sanitized word for human excrement. Wow. 
Our possession, what we own, our occupation, our reputation, these are like the tentacles of an octopus that will hold us back, drag us down, drown us, and then consume us if we allow them to own us. It's one thing for us to own them, but it's quite another for them to own us. We need to press on, though and through them, if we are to live freely, regardless of how the world may try to shackle and imprison us. And then sixthly, he's talking about press on in faith. That is what he says in chapter 3, verses 12 to 14. I don't mean to say that I'm perfect. I haven't learned all I should even yet. But I keep working toward that day when I will finally be all that Christ saved me for and wants me to be. No, dear brothers, I am still not all I should be, but I am bringing all my energies to bear on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God is calling us up to heaven because of what Christ Jesus did for us. Press on in faith. Paul had his share of adversity, hardship, and struggles. He refused to retreat or return to the way it was once. He was not content to settle in and call it home. He knew his life in Christ was not just the beginning on the road of Damascus, where he would end up in heaven. He knew it was also a journey and not just a destination. He knew it was a growing and, and maturing process just as surely as growing physically from egg to embryo to infant to adolescent to adulthood was a process, a lifelong process. I just got a, a mail from one of um, our friends in uh, from our All Nations time, um, Martin Goldsmith, who is a, a Jewish Christian, and he is already 85, and he said, even I'm 85, but I need to grow. It's not a stop in itself by age, you know, that we uh, have fulfilled our growth. No, he said, I want to press on. This has motivated me to this sermon, actually, to press on, press on in faith. This kind of pro process requires absolute confidence in God. He who he began a good work in you will continue and complete it until the day of Christ. To be honest, you will not put your life in the hands of someone to f and follow someone you do not trust. You will not loan someone your car to drive if you do not trust them. You will not ask someone to hold your money for you if you don't trust them. So if you will not trust Christ to save you, 
keep you, lead you, provide for you, and protect you on the journey you will not follow. Faith is at the heart whether you, whether or not you will press on. Can you see the mountain of experience? This is it. Somebody said a faith that falters before the finish had a flaw from the first. If you and I are going to get through the days that are ahead of us, we will have to learn to press on in absolute, unfaltering, unflawed faith and confidence in Christ. And lastly then, we must press on with persistence. Lastly, well, as you see, we climb a mountain. I'm sweating already. We are not at the top yet, but we press on with persistence. And as you know, I've been up the mountain, the highest mountain of Papua New Guinea, Mount Willem is its name. It's 4,800 meters high. I tell you, the last couple of meters were the hardest. We could hardly um, put 10 legs in front of us, and then we had to stop. We were out of breath completely. So this last bit is the hardest one. The first reason why we must remain persistent is because of God's past faithful. And it is God's faithfulness in the past that assures us from his faithfulness in the future. Since we know he is the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We can stick with it no matter what, trust him fully no matter how long. And the second reason why we must remain persistent is because our personal testimony what would happen to your witness before others if we give up and throw in the towel because there seems to be no victory? What happens if we lose hope? How will our turning back affect others who have been watching us? What about those who have been following us? What about those who have tried to model their life after us? If we turn back, give up or give in, what will happen to them? Failing to be persistent all the way through should ever be a driving force in our lives. And then thirdly and lastly, why we must remain persistent is because of our confident expectation. It's like before Christmas, you know, children are standing outside waiting for the presents and they put their, uh, get on tiptoes and, and are getting excited, you know, the confident expectation. And I'm overjoyed. I'm looking forward to that day. It will be an amazing day of God's presence. We press on because of our hope for the future. I'm sure we all look forward to the time when Christ comes and takes us home to be with him, to be with him forever. We do not know when that will be. 
the Bible does not allow us to make uh, some kind of um, diary when uh, Jesus comes back. No. However, it is what motivates us above all else. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. It, be, it will be worth. Those who have gone before us can attest to that fact. Press on. Press on. Press on. Hebrew 12, 1 says, Therefore, therefore, since we are surrounded by so, uh, so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings to so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is before us. Press on with persistence. Do not quit. Never give up. Never Give in. Never give out. And finally, press on. Hebrews 6, 1 says, Therefore, again, another therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. Not laying against foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. And then Hosea 6, 1 to 3 says, come, let us return. As you may have seen right now, as the word of God touches your heart, come, let us return. Come back. Bow your knees and get to the Lord. Yes, that's true. I've lost this pressing on while I was walking with you. Please forgive me. Press on, come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day that we may live before him. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is certain as the dawn, and he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. What an encouragement from this old prophet of uh, Hosea. And there is the reassurance first, he tells us that God's coming to our rescue. It is as certain as the dawn. Whenever the sun sets, we immediately know that a sunrise is just ahead. If night falls, then dawn will come. Knowing this about God gives us one thing that is reassurance and refreshing. But the Prophet also goes on and promises that he will come to us like the rain, like the spring rain. Isn't that refreshing? Wow. I'm still excited about it. Press on. The final chapter has yet to be written. And it's going to be an awesome one. The race is still being run. We must press on. Enjoy, press on past all the lies, deception and falsehood. Press on through our fears. Press on through the flesh. Press on beyond our possessions. Press on in faith and press on with persistence. There is joy, great joy 
in the journey. Do not let hardships and the unknown deter you. My brothers and sisters, and those that may not know Christ, those that follow Christ are heaven-bound. And I'm looking forward to this. You too? Amen. Lord Jesus, we worship you because you've brought us back to the essence of yourself. And we cannot live this life without you. We thank you that you are a faithful God. And we praise you that we can follow you in joy. In joy unspeakable. We can press on beyond the human lies and deceptions. We press on all falsehood. We press on all those fears that are right around us. We press on beyond our flesh, all we can do and um, things that are bad in our lives. We press on also beyond our possessions. And we want to have faith in you because you had the last word and you are going to have, you had the first and you are going to have the last word. We praise you that we can press on in persistence. Thank you for uh, being with us on that way. And thank you that you guide us, help us, strengthen us so that we follow you faithfully till the end. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we can commit our lives afresh into your good hands to finish well and to see you then from time to eternity. We are looking forward. And thank you that it can affect everybody who puts faith in you to follow you and put their lives into your hands. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being with us today and the days to come. We praise you and we bless your people in your precious name, in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.